This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Psalm we're in is a very unique song. It, it has, there's a couple of things that just starting off, I would like to talk about just because Psalm 29, the Psalm itself is there's good, good, really good archaeological evidence that this song was written or a remake of a Canaanite song to a Baal god, that this song was taken and remade and maybe prob- maybe not even actually altered. Uh, actually, this song may not have even actually been written or, or the so- original song altered by David it may just be in here because David, David took it and made sure it's part of song because it was regularly sung or regularly uh, a part of worship for the Israelites over the generations that had lived there before. And you say, why would we make a song from Canaanites? And there's a big argument today that <clears throat> whether some of the, whether some of our hymns were drawn from uh, bar tunes of the, of the 16th and 17th and 18th century and, and just Many arguments like that, and I don't want to get into the very specifics of those arguments because oftentimes those arguments have a lot of agenda behind them, and I'm not really interested in their agendas or even promoting those arguments. But suffice it to say, let me say this, music and the worship of God throughout the world tends to be fairly in line with the people and the age that the music is in. Meaning this, if you go to uh, Africa and you listen to their music, it may have a lot of similarities to, it may be tied to the Bible just like ours is, probably is a whole lot, but it's going to be music that is, is local to those people. It's going to be, it's going to be the music that they listen to. If you go down to South America and you're part of those worship services, and I've been in Central America and, and Mexico and I've been in those areas, their music, the music that they use is culturally tied to them. And although the words may be, we may even be actually singing the same song, it doesn't sound always the same. And the reason it doesn't sound all the way, always the same is because it's unique to those people. And God wants it that way. The Apostle John, when we get to the port, part in Revelation very soon, where he looks out and he sees, he says, I see, I saw men from every tribe and nation, tongue and language. And what that meant is that God had won a remnant of everybody. And in heaven, there's going to be a very broad swath of music out there. And worship is going to be really unique. And, and we love our worship because it's the music that we're used to. And we love to tie off to a hymn. Every once in a while, one of those, one of those old great hymns. We love worship music because it's very common to... We're not, 
I'm, I'm almost 50 years old. I'm 48. I grew up in a rock and roll era, and my parents grew up in a rock and roll era. So even on the, into the 70s, the Beach Boys and the Beatles, bass guitar and uh, drums and, and electric guitar and, and, and things like that appeal to our musical, our musical culture. And so having praise and worship music is just a, a natural outgrowth of that. And trying to figure out whether or not uh, a song came from a barroom uh, a tune or, or whether the song came from a Canaanite uh, song that originally was there is really irrelevant. What's relevant is, is does the music speak to the culture? And, and that's important uh, because if the music doesn't speak to the culture, the people are not going to sing it because they're not going to enjoy it. Uh, second of all, does the music point the people to God? Uh, third, and I think more real important, does the music quote the Word of God? Does it teach spiritual truths? Does it teach theological truths? And more importantly, does it act God's Word? And uh, and finally, are the people leading, are they leading worship or are they performing? And if they're leading worship and it involves the Word of God and the music is culturally uh, tied to the people so that they actually have an emotive response to the to that music, then that's good worship. And and it will be effective in bringing people into the presence of God. And so this psalm must have been very effective. Second of all, the second issue that happens with this psalm is that it speaks to it speaks of God's voice in a way that believers are not used to really thinking of God that way but his voice of power and the power in which he created things and the power which he's over things. And it speaks of God's voice in the spiritual. And so it says, give unto the Lord, and this is give him praise, give praise. That's the idea. Give praise unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Now the question is, what is he talking about the mighty ones? And it's my belief and, and a lot of scholars believe that the mighty ones here are the angelic hosts. They're the spiritual powers and authorities in the heavenlies. And, and this is both the fallen ones and the ones who remain in heaven. It includes Satan himself. Give, give praise unto the Lord includes every, every mighty one in heaven. All of the uh, angelic powers that exist in heaven and all the demonic powers that exist on earth. And when we think about those things, when we consider this, he's starting out saying that everything that has voice is going to praise God. He says, give unto the Lord glory and strength, which means they they have to glorify him and they have to consent to his strength and power to rule over them. And understanding that God and the God that you have personal relationship, the one who speaks that small, quiet voice in your heart is also the God who rules over the heavens, is a understanding that is necessary for a believer to begin to really walk by faith because it, it, it speaks to the sovereignty of God. He says, give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Notice he, he's not just due glory because he's God. He's due glory because his character, his name, which unveils his his, his character traits. Each name of God shows us a different aspect of who God is, his character. It says, give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness, which means his holiness is so pure and beautiful that, and he, and remember holiness is to be set apart, to be different, to be wholly unique to itself. 
And he's saying of all the spiritual forces and the spiritual powers that are at work in the universe, all the angelic power that exists, God is uniquely great and above that and far greater and above that than anything. Oftentimes people say, I'll, I'll ask the question, Christians, and you haven't logically thought it through, so you come up with the wrong answer. I say, what, who is the opposite of God? And the answer is no one. No one's the opposite of God. You say, well, Lucifer is the opposite of God. No, he is not the opposite of God. He, he is not, he's not in any, in, in, in order to be opposite, you gotta be equal. The opposite of one is negative one, which means it's one away from zero, just like uh, negative one is one away from zero. Those are opposites. They're equal, but they're opposite. Satan is not equal to God. Satan is not even close to God. They're not even comparable. He's inf infinitesimally small compared to God. And we're infinitesimally small compared to God to a power of 10. There is none like God. Oftentimes I've heard, I even had an attorney tell me last week or a couple of weeks ago when he was right, he said his dad always said that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is don't care. It's, you just really don't even, nothing. The opposite of love is no feelings at all. And I thought about that and I said, is that right? That can't be right. And the more I thought about it, it is true. The opposite of the major characteristic of who God is, which is love, love defines, is the defining characteristic of God's nature. The opposite of the defining characteristic of God's nature is nothing. That's right. That's right. In fact, hate comes from an emotion, a definite emotional attachment. It may be from an experience that causes that emotional attachment, but hate is definitely an emotional attachment. Love is an emotion. It has emotional powers, but love is literally the existence of God. And what is opposite of the existence of his nature and character? There's nothing that's the opposite of that. And I thought that was an interesting way of looking at things. And I might could over time think through it and shoot holes in it. But the truth is that there's nothing comparable to God. And so when we're in the spiritual and the heavenly realms, and when we're connected to the spiritual and heavenly realms, we realize that our ally, our friend, our father is far superior to anything else. He is sovereign and he, he is due to be worshiped and he's due to be listen to and follow. He says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. Now, that's an allusion back to uh, Genesis chapter one, where when the, where when the heavens, when the earth became formless and void, and notice it became that way. It was not created that way. Isaiah tells us that the heavens and the earth were not created formless and void, but it became that way. And I believe it became that way due to the fall. The spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. And, and that is a picture of God's preparing to remake that which was destroyed. And waters is always a picture of, of the, of the masses of people or the Gentiles because in the water are, are the fish and fish are always a picture of peoples. If you want to know, if, if you want to know what, what in the Bible tend to always refer to people, if you see a parable or something like that, fish, trees. They always seem to be the pictures of people. And so the voice of the Lord hovers over the water. The God of glory thunders. And this is drawing us to the understanding that God is the author of the most, some of the most powerful things that we actually see. And, and thunder and lightning are some of the most powerful things 
that we see on a daily basis. It's literally a million watts and bolts of electricity going through the air. It says, the voice of the Lord is over the water. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. And I notice he's saying he's not just over a few. He's over all of it. He's over many waters. And God is at work in many cultures, in many ways, in ways that we can't even know. He's He's at work in the angelic. He's at work in the physical. He's at work. Uh, he's at work in the spiritual realm. He's at work in the peoples of the earth in ways we cannot see. He says the Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, and and this is begin. We begin to speak to and understand that that the the voice of the Lord that we hear, the voice of truth, is also the same voice that rumbles and thunders and changes and alters the whole scene. And he says, the, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. That's that, that's that sovereignty of God. He's majestic. He's over things. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. And, and yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. And those were the mightiest trees that the Israelites had any, had any knowledge of understanding. If we were to, to, to talk about it in our culture, if we were to write a song about it, about his voice splitting trees, we would talk about the redwoods. His voice splits the redwood tree. It breaks it in half. It, and and you, anybody who's seen a redwood, redwoods can be as much as 10, 15, 20 feet in in circumference. And and, and literally cars can drive through uh, a redwood tree. They're massive. And the Bible says the voice of can break those trees, just splinter them like they're nothing, like 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 taking a, like we would take a toothpick and break it in two. And for David, because David did not live in the scientific times that we live in, he he does not he didn't have an understanding of some of the great power that we see because we are able to look farther, because we're able to do things that were unimaginable. This was the most unimaginable thing he could think of is for a giant cedar of Lebanon to be broken just like that. And when Central Alabama see see uh, trees snap like nothing, and, and and it is amazing when you walk out there and you see a tree that that weighs two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand pounds laid over by just the force of wind. It's amazing, and God's voice is the source of that power and the source of that strength. He says He makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian like young wild ox. And what he's saying is he's able to break the cedars of Lebanon with, with his voice. And then he's also able to bring just a small amount of joy to, to, to the animals, the domesticated beasts that, that we keep. He says, the voice of the Lord divides flame, the flames of fire. He, he says that the voice of the Lord, um, and, and fire is a picture of, of, of purification and holiness. And he's saying that, that the fire, the voice of the Lord purifies and it purifies. It's able to split. It's able to split the fire. It's able to purify very precisely. It's able to fix very uniquely. I think about the things that God does sometimes in our lives, the very small adjustments that God makes to our thoughts and our hearts and our character, which have powerful results. Like a fine surgeon, when he goes in and he cuts just where he needs to and misses a nerve or misses misses a, a vein or and doesn't do any damage, but fixes the problem in the midst of all the danger that could have been caused, all the issues that might, might have been caused by cutting something the wrong way. He uh, The skill of a fine surgeon 
doing exactly what helps completely but does not hurt anything. I think of that when I think of this, the voice of the Lord divides flame. God fixes parts of who you are like a fine surgeon. He doesn't have to knock you over and, and lay you bare before him. He alters your character and your nature by, by the very slight and most intimate things. And yet his voice can flung, fling the universe into existence all at the same time. And, and that's what makes God wonderful. He's powerful and mighty, and he's also intimate and close. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. And he's saying it just, it handles the vast wildernesses where, where nothing is. I don't know any of y'all ever been to a place that has a vast wilderness. And that's not Alabama because there's so many people in Alabama. But I've flown over Alaska and I've ridden on roads, uh, highways in Alaska, eight, nine hour drive in the state of Alaska. And you can drive eight, nine hours and, and only pass two gas stations and never pass a car. And you, you literally are two hours away from any human being other than the ones in the vehicle that you're riding in. And when you think about how great and vast the wildernesses are of this world, and there are some major wildernesses up in Canada. There's some major wildernesses, obviously in Alaska and Siberia. There's some major wildernesses. The Amazon jungle is a, is a huge wilderness. It's not a wilderness in what we think of it. We think of a jungle, but that has the same idea. There's huge areas where no one lives, and yet God's voice is heard and is actively, powerfully changing those vast areas of nothingness. He says, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh, and the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. And so, he, you notice he says, it, it handles these vast wildernesses, and yet it also sustains the very intimate and very, very important process of bringing new life into the world in birth. And wow, that, those are, from David's perspective, he says, God is just handling all this stuff that I see out here as far as the eye can see. And yet he's intimately involved in carrying out uh, and making sure that the life that he created, he also sustains. And by the way, God holds the universe and creation in his mighty right hand. Uh, Man is arrogant to believe that he is in some way in control completely of that. Now, Adam was in control of it in the garden, but Adam operated in the full power. We do not. Jesus was in control of it because he was the second Adam, Adam as Hebrews teaches us. But, but we ourselves, we are wholly inadequate to, to control nature. And nature and, and God's hand over that can usually set right very quickly uh, some of the things that we think would be just complete disasters. And it does. It says in strips and forests bare, uh, he's intimately involved in the birth of a deer, but he strips the whole forest bare. And for y'all who are my age and older, you remember the Saint, Mount St. Helens explosion and how literally hundreds and thousands and millions of acres of trees were just laid all of them knocked down and just for, for as far as the eye could see when that volcanic eruption happened everything was splintered like trees and totally destroyed and that was a not a very big volcanic blast it, in fact it was fairly small compared to most of what we've seen in human history and and in just in just a microsecond totally destroyed everything and he says, and his temple, everyone says glory, which means 
that God is intimate and he is powerful on, on all scales. His hand is at work and he does these things. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. No, God was in charge when the uh, judgment of the flood came on the earth and the Lord sits as king forever, which means his, he, he has the right to judge and to, to be over everything forever and ever. And it says the Lord will strengthen, will give strength to his people. Now, David is bringing it finally to us and he's saying, you need to understand the God that I'm talking about is actually involved in your life too. And, and that's what the last verse is about. He strengthens his people uh, and he gives us, he is able to handle every situation around us and the Lord will bless his people with peace. And so God's going to give us his peace. He's actively at work, providing us with his grace and mercy, making sure that he is giving us the correction that we need and uh, pointing us in the direction where uh, life can be sustained. The Lord gives his strength to his people and he, he is actively involved in giving us peace. And that's what we want. We, we want God's perfect and pleasing and goodwill in our lives. And, and I can see that happening around me and I can see that happening for you also. Sometimes as a shepherd, I get caught up on the issues of some of my people, some of the people that I'm dealing with, because they are, they are many, and I tend to know uh, more about the struggles and the difficulties of people's lives than sometimes I would want to know. But as a shepherd, you can If I'm going to be a good shepherd, I gotta, I've got to know those things. I've got to wrestle with those things myself and help others through them. I've grown, as I've grown older, I've grown, it's grown easier to do that just because, just because I, I rely on God to handle things more and less my own, my own power and strength. But in doing that, sometimes I forget to look around and see the great things that are going on in people's lives. And, and that's a negative. That's not a ghost rider. That's, that's the pattern's full on that one. I don't need to be doing that. I need to be seeing the goodness in the lives that's going on around me. And I can say this, uh, I see great things happening with the people of East Lake Community Church. I keep calling it East Lake. My church in Montgomery was called East Lake. And actually the people, some of the people out there that uh, watch these Bible studies are from uh, that church. And I, I've seen some great things going on in their lives too. And the God of uh, wonders of the universe is actively involved in your life. And he's doing a good work in you. And he's going to carry it out to his completion. And I, I fully expect that for you. I trust God for it. And, and I, I take joy in seeing that go on. And I, I pray that it will continue to take place for you and that you will see his best each and every day. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.